every service seems to have its own unique characteristics and traits. And uh, I love I love the energy of a Sunday night and just the feeling of family. And uh, Lord, I enjoy the times that we can laugh and that we can enjoy fellowship with one another. So thankful for the the great music, the offertory, and uh, God, just enjoy, and I pray that you would help your people to enjoy these moments of being together. God, we're thankful for the book of Esther, and it has been a help in my life, and I'm thankful for it, and I pray that tonight as we look into it one more time uh, for this season, that you would use it to be a blessing and an encouragement a challenge, whatever is needed in the lives of your people, that you would use it to help them and to deal with them. And help us, Father, as we as we hear preaching and uh, as we look into your word, help us to always believe that you have our best interest at heart and that you know what we need even better than we think we know what we need. So Lord, help us to trust you in that. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thanks uh, so much for standing. Can you remember the first time you were put in charge of something? Like the first the first time you were told you're the boss? Or the first time it, you were told by your parents, okay, you're in charge of everybody. It's your job to make sure this gets done. I was thinking back, I can't remember the first time I was actually in charge, but I do remember one of the first times I wanted to be in charge and I thought I was going to be in charge. Um, I was out on the swing set with my brother and one of our friends, her name was Elizabeth, and uh, they didn't want to play on the equipment like I wanted them to play on the equipment, so I smoked them. <laughs> I mean, when things don't go the way you want, you punch people, that's, that's what you do, right? <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> no, <laughs> but I mean, that's how we feel sometimes. My mom. My mom tells a story of uh, when I was, I don't know, one-ish. I really wish I could remember this. I was around one, two, something like that. And uh, I wasn't wanting to eat the food in my high chair like she was wanting me to eat it. And so she said, Jonathan, eat this or something like that. And I picked up my thumb and my finger and I said, I shoot you. Adorable, right? Yeah. No, and so she responded by addressing my hand <laughs> with some force. And so then it was this whole battle. Uh, uh, uh. And so she kept doing it, and I would just sit there and I would stare at her. I'd just lift my fingers up a little bit. <clears throat> just trying to flex on her. <laughs> trying to be in charge when I, when I really wasn't in charge. And we all, we all have this idea, especially when we're growing up. You may not remember the first time that you were in charge, but you can remember what it was like thinking about one day, I, I'm, I can't wait until I have some authority or I have the opportunity maybe to make some decisions for myself. I can't wait till I'm in a position to where I am in control and I'm not as much being controlled. And, and I, I actually have conversations like this with my children, preparing them, trying to prepare them for moments when they themselves will be in positions to where they have more control over the direction of their life. 
and helping them to understand that when you finally begin to take control of your life, you're going to have to answer the question, what am I, I going to use my power for? How am I going to put my power to use? And am I going to consider others in the way that I use my life? Now, basically, I've divided chapter 10 into two sections. The first section establishes this, the power of King Ahasuerus. In verse number one, it tells us that he laid a tribute or a tax upon the land and upon the isles of the sea. And so we know immediately that he has power because he, he is able to levy a tax and then expect it to be paid. Okay, I love, and I am unapologetic about this, I love being able to tax my children's candy. I just want them to understand what real life is like. Like April 15th, isn't that when it, it, April 15th comes for everybody. And for you, it's year round. You get that Snickers, I'm getting some of it. You get that Hershey's Kiss, you're going to share it with daddy if I like it. If I don't like your candy, that's fine. You can go give it to your mama. But otherwise, if I like it, I'm getting some of that. I love laying the candy tax on my children. And you know what it's a reminder of? I have power. It's a reminder of. Um, you know why a king would lay a tribute upon people? Because he could. You know why government taxes its people sometimes unfairly and excessively? Because they can. You say, well, I'm just not going to pay that. Okay, tell me how that works out. <laughs> and if you actually aren't, don't tell me how that's going to work out because I don't want to be caught up in some other stuff. <laughs> over time, you understand this, over time, there are things like tax evasion. And there are people who have had to pay a hefty price for that sort of thing. And here's why. The government has power. I'm not justifying the use of every tax. I'm not justifying every time a tax is laid. In fact, you, if you listen to me for any length of time, you know that how I think about some of those things. But it's simply, verse number one helps us to understand this, that King Ahasuerus has significant power. Where he can say, I'm going to tax these isles. And history tells us that there was some kind of connection to the Greek islands with whom he would have been at war. And so there was possibly some of that going on. Or there would have been conflict. And so he, he is able with these islands, he is able with the land that he rules over, which was a significant kingdom. You go back 127 provinces, I believe, all the way to Ethiopia. He has the ability with simply the... His own word, and with one of his scribes, the stroke of a pen, and he puts his ring's signet upon this law. He can require everyone under his reign to have to pay him money. You know what that is? That's power. Okay, I can walk into your house. Hey, you owe me an ice cream tax. I mean, slam the door in my face. <laughs> or slap me in the face. I mean, whatever. Yeah, because I don't, have, I don't have power. Somebody comes in and says, hey, you need to do this and this. They don't have power. But when the king or when the government that has the power of life and has the power of death, has the power of freedom or has the power of imprisonment, when they have that power and they choose to exercise it, then they're able to compel people to have to pay certain amounts of money. 
And so verse number one, he levies, he levies this tribute, he levies this tax. And I don't understand all the historical ramifications of it. But in the context of this passage and what it transitions into, it establishes this, that this king possesses great power. But then this is what's interesting. In verse number two, after establishing and then stating all the acts, verse two, all the acts of his power and his might, he chooses to share that power. So look at verse number two. All the acts of his power and of his might and the declaration of the greatness of Mordecai whereunto the king advanced him. Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Media and Persia? So verse number one establishes this. I have such power that I can just make a law that all of you have to pay me this tribute that I've required. Much like in the New Testament where a decree was sent up out by Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Ahasuerus exercises that same level of power that under my reign and within my kingdom this tribute must be paid. So he has significant power. But then in verse number two it, it describes his power and says he chose to take some of that power, to take, to take that greatness, and he chose to advance Mordecai. So here's what he does. This is simple. He takes his great power, he shares it with Mordecai, and elevates him to a position where he then shares in the great power, and he is able to use that power. Now this is, this is what we know about King Ahasuerus. He wasn't necessarily a micromanager. Unless something got on his nerves. I mean, Haman was given a whole lot of leash. <laughs> and he really wasn't investigating anything that was going on. The king wasn't until Esther brought it to his attention. And so just with his personality and just with his style of management that you see in studying this, he's given Mordecai this great power. And based on how Ahasuerus has handled others who have been under his authority that he's advanced, Mordecai is going to be put in a position where he has the ability to do a whole lot of whatever he wants. So someone could say to Mordecai, hey, why are you doing that? Hey, why are you requiring this? Why are you sending us here? Even to the point of writing laws, and this would be his response. Who said you could do that? The king. You see this ring? You see this robe? You see this crown? They are evidence of the fact that I have been advanced. I have been put in a position of power. I have been elevated to have control. I have been elevated to have authority. We see this with, with a change in presidential leadership, how a president has different cabinet positions that he fulfills, and they go through a confirmation process. And then once all of that is done within the new administration, those people will have significant amounts of authority that are given to them because they were elevated by the one who was put into office as president of the United States. And so they take their power, they give it to those around them that they want to do a certain job, job and they're elevated then to use that power. And so Mordecai, not only is he going to have the approval of the king, but he has resources that would be significant. Say, how are they significant? Because the king's taking taxes. <laughs> kings don't work for their own money. <laughs> you work for their money. Okay, good. I thought that would land better. 
<laughs> or maybe it's just too real. <laughs> no, the, king, the king's not out there working 60, 70 hours a week to supply the needs of his kingdom. The people are out there working 60 or 70 hours a week to supply the needs of his kingdom. And so the king has significant resources. Well, now Mordecai has those resources. He's going to have authority. He is going to have resource. He has been empowered by the king. The king has elevated me. The king, I love the word advanced. He has moved me into a position where I have access and I have right to rule. Why are you doing that? Because the king gave me the authority to. So the question then would be this. Here's the only question. Mordecai, how will you use that power? Now we, we hear things like this. We hear questions asked. We hear promises made and statements made. That in, in our landscape, people come to power and there's always rhetoric about doing what is best. For people I'm gonna serve you hear it what, people make these statements today I'm gonna serve the people and yet when they get into office in a very shallow view of the decisions they're making and this is what you find you're not really serving the people <laughs> you're serving yourself think about Think about the, the contrast between Haman and Mordecai. Haman was in a position of great power. The Bible doesn't tell us why Haman was promoted. Simply that this same king who advanced Mordecai, he also in days before or in a time before promoted Haman. It doesn't tell us why. It's just that he did. And Haman had significant authority. And this is what we know about Haman. He could have used his power to actually help the king. He could have used his power to actually minister to people. But instead he used his power and he, he tried to pretend to be doing the what was good for the king, but it was really just to carry out his own personal vendettas. It was his own agenda. It was his own selfish interest. King, there's a people, they're going to be a problem for you. No, actually those people aren't a problem for you. You just had an encounter with one of them and you don't like them. And so therefore you're going to take your distaste, your disdain for that one person out on an entire group of people and you're going to try to have them slaughtered. You know what that's called? Using your power for your own ambition, your own self-interest. And that's what you're doing, Haman. Mordecai could have used his power in that way. But thankfully, he chose differently. We're not given great detail. We have example in chapter 8 and 9, but this is just a summation of his time in power. We don't know how long he was there. We don't know how long it lasted. We don't know the specifics, but we're given a very general description that helps us to understand how he put his power to use. Look at verse number three. For Mordecai the Jew was next unto King Ahasuerus. Okay, wait a minute. That, that's just another description of how great, how powerful he was. Uh, think back to the life of Joseph. Where Pharaoh, when he was promoting Joseph, said, Only, only in the throne will I be greater than thou. I'm, I'm going to be here, and you're going to be here. You're not, you're not quite as great as me, but you're going to share significant power with me. And the same, the same would be, could be said of Mordecai, that the king considered him to be next unto him. He had great power, but also notice this, 
that he was great among the Jews and accepted of the multitude of his brethren. There's a really important point, and I, and I thought about, I thought about just dealing with this one thought in a message, but instead tied it in to this one. And that's this, you read he was accepted and he was great among the Jews. It's not simply referring to his position over them, it's referring to their perception of him. He was great among the Jews and he was accepted of them. Have you ever heard this phrase? And this phrase annoys me. And if someone has used it, I'm not trying to offend, I'm just telling you, this phrase annoys me, annoys me. Well, that's not my president. Well, if you live in this country, then yes, it is your president. I get so, I'm so tired of tedious, self-centered, wine-bag elites that always make these declarations. If this person's elected, I'm moving. Please do. Help us all out. Or then people, an election doesn't go their way. Well, that's not my president. No, actually, it is your president. You don't have to like it. You don't have to agree with it. But that is, if you're in this country, that is your president. That wasn't the attitude towards Mordecai. Well, that's not. He's not my leader. No, this was him. This was their attitude. I'm thankful he's my leader. He was great among them. He had position over them. But their perception of him was this, that, that we trust you, we Here's the word, we respect you and we believe that you are in this position for our welfare and that you will use this, pers- this position to seek our welfare. Please understand this, it's not the main point, but it's so helpful. It's a good reminder to me, having position and being respected are not the same thing. And, and so many times people demand to be respected because of their position. And you've got to understand that respect is not something you take from people. It is something that is given based on how you conduct yourself. And this world is filled with people who want, who demand, who demand by force sometimes that you will respect me instead of focusing their efforts on conducting themselves in a respectable manner. If you want to be respected, if you want your position and your authority to be recognized with gratitude, then conduct yourself in a way that is obviously for the benefit of the people over whom you have authority. Don't go out and use your authority and your resources to cover up some lascivious and vulgar life and some self-centered life, taking advantage at every opportunity. How about you use your authority for the welfare of people that you've been placed in a position to serve and to protect, and this is what you'll find. People will have great appreciation for you and respect for you. This is a statement I make to my children. Respect is earned. And there are a whole lot of people that can be in positions of authority that have not earned respect. Be in positions of power that have not lived their lives that are worthy of being respected. So Mordecai has to make this choice. How am I going to use the power? Section 2 verse number 3 describes how he uses the power. Seeking the wealth of his people and speaking peace to all his seed. Now, when we, when we hear the word wealth, 
a lot of times our, our thought immediately goes to money, and financial resources are about that. But when we're talking about a person's overall welfare, we are talking about more than dollars and cents. Because in any society, you're going to have people with more and people with less and everywhere in between. That's, that's just the nature of it. And this idea of some kind of utopia where everybody has equal, that is a lie that does not work. And it's always been used by governments to try to gain, to, to try to gain power over, over the population. And our young people are being inundated. I, I, I feel like I'm reverting back to the... George Orwell days and having to say things like this, but people try to paint this idea of communism that it's just, it needs to, it, you need to put it into place in the right environment and then it'll finally work. No, it never works. It only results in mass slaughter and in deprivation and in a few having control over many. So when it says that Mordecai was seeking the the wealth of his people, it's not talking about everybody has the same money. It's saying that he is seeking to make decisions that will prove to be for the benefit of everyone across the board, regardless of where they're at on the societal scale. You can actually, this is interesting, you can actually, in positions of power, make decisions that are good for everybody, from top to bottom within the scale of a society. Now I'm going to I'm going to seek to make laws, I'm going to pass laws or I'm going to I'm going to advocate for, I am going to do what is in my power to do the best of my ability to help provide people with the best opportunities that they can possibly have. I am going to seek their wealth, I am going to seek their welfare from the top to the bottom, from the bottom to the top, everything in between, I'm going to make decisions that will be useful to them having safe and productive lives. He was in a position of political authority, and that would be the responsibility of someone in a position of political authority, not to manage every single detail of their life, but to put them in the best possible position to succeed so that if they have a desire to make something good of their life, that you lead and govern in a way that they can put their own ingenuity and initiative to work, and they can then enjoy the blessings of that kind of life. He was giving them the opportunity. He was he was providing the opportunity to make good with their life and speaking peace to all his seed. He was using his position to provide an environment where the people could prosper. So here's what happens. He's been advanced to a position of power. He then takes that power and uses it to prosper the people over whom he has authority. Here's the statement, and it's simple. Use your power to help people prosper. Let's talk about us for just a, a few minutes, and then we'll be done. Number one, the power you have is given you by a greater power. Now, you do have power. You do have power. You have some resource. You have some talent. You have some opportunity. You have some authority. And some may say, well, I don't really have authority, but you do have influence. It's is so critical that our young people figure this out, that you don't have to be in charge in order to have influence on how things go. 
And, and so many times it, within a youth Within a youth group, within a group of teenagers in a church, there can be a great spirit or there can be a very bad and divisive spirit. And you say, well, that's really the responsibility of the youth leaders. Well, no, you can have the right kind of leaders and the masses not have the right attitude. And what you'll find is that regardless of how hard the people in charge in the youth work, if the young ladies and the young men aren't willing to have a good attitude and to influence the, oh, those around them to have a good attitude, that things can really break down quickly. But if, but if some young ladies and some young men will come along and say, hey, whatever Brother Fiavai says, we're going to be excited about it. We're going to have a good attitude and we're going to do our best. And then when, when so one of the youth workers, when the, the Fiavais or the Wicklands tell us we need to do things a little differently, we're not going to feel sorry for ourselves, but we're going to encourage each other. Hey, let's do our best and let's have a good attitude and let's pay attention. And when it's time to play games and mess around, because they love to play games and mess around, then we're going to do that and enjoy it. But when it's time to straighten up and to listen and to pay attention, we're going to do that. You may not be in charge, but you have a whole lot of influence. You say, well, I don't really have any authority at church. Yeah, but you do have influence over the spirit of the services. Oh, you do. People are observing, people are watching, people are noticing, young people are noticing what is going on, and they are, they are observing how people are responding, how they're singing, how they're listening to the preaching, what their attitude is, how they navigate disagreements, how they navigate differences of opinions, how they navigate being hurt or doing wrong and trying to make it right. You may not have authority over a lot of people, but you do have way more influence. And so whether it's your job, whether it's a resource, whether it's an ability or a talent, here's the question you have to ask yourself. Where did that come from? In 1 Corinthians 4, 7, this is a, a summation of that verse. I'm not quoting it exactly. But Paul asked this question to the Corinthian church who was very proud of what they possessed. What do you have that you didn't receive? Meaning, we get to enjoy a lot, but all of that opportunity, it started somewhere, and it started with someone giving us opportunity. Let's start with this. You have life. And if you believe the Bible, you have life. Because God chose for you to be born, to the man and the woman to whom you were born, in the place and at the time that you were born. You, you've got to recognize that, man, I was born in the fact that I have life and that I'm able to exercise this life in whatever way. That is a gift from God. I have received it. You have received power by a greater power. I've heard this phrase used, especially in relation to sports, sometimes in relation to music, but sometimes people, they, they have what is referred to as God-given ability. Their, their ability is so exceptionally far above everybody else's, and it's not that they necessarily work harder than anybody else. Other people work hard too, but two people working as hard as equally as hard one person excels, and it's simply because there is a disparity between ability, and they just have a whole lot more ability, and that can be true in a lot of different fields, can't it? Well, where does that come from? God gives it. 
The, the Lord is the one who gives you the abilities that you have. He gives you the opportunities. The opportunities to be married. The opportunity to be a parent. The opportunity to work. The opportunity to have parents and have a family. The opportunity to have a church. The opportunity to live in this country. And I, I understand it, we, we kind of get bored of hearing things like this. But we are blessed to live in this country. And I'm not saying that you agree with everything or should agree with everything. And obviously, our nation has great sin against God that needs to be dealt with. But we have it, it materially, we have it so much better than most of the rest of the world. That is power. Opportunity. You have great power. And you've got to recognize, I have this because it's given. Mordecai, why do you have this power? Because the king advanced me. Why, are you, why do you, living today in 2021, why do you have the opportunity, the resource, the power, the influence, whatever it is that you have, the children, the marriage, the job, the relationships, why do you have that? You have it because God has allowed you to have those things. You have that power. So the question is, how will you use it? The power you have can either be used for good or for evil. It can be used selflessly, or it can be used selfishly. There are, there are many men who love, who love preaching about the authority of a man in a home. And here's why you love it. Because you feel like it gives you license to live selfishly. Yep, yep, amen. Man is in charge. I don't even know that you should say it like that. Because your wife has insight and wisdom. True, Brother Cook? Yeah. Has Miss Peggy ever helped you? <laughs> yeah, it's probably better. <laughs> oh, there, there are people who are in positions of actual authority. And you love the idea, yep, I love this, that I, I am being told that I'm in charge, and yep, you better get in line, and when I say this, it better be this way, and I'm not going to tolerate anything that's not exactly the way that I want it, and I'm not going to try to understand, I'm not going to be patient, I'm not going to show grace, I'm not going to restrain my temper, I'm not going to control my tongue, and I don't care how hurtful my words are, if you would just do things the way that I want, then I would never get mad. No, your temper and your bad attitude are your fault regardless of what anybody else is doing yes amen and yet there are there are men who sit in churches and they have they they believe the idea that they have power but they have completely dismissed or have missed or could are careless about this idea that just because God has given me authority to lead and to guide this family does not mean that he's given me license to be abusive, to be harsh, to be unkind, to use it, to use my position selfishly and for my own gain. Oh, that power can be used for good or evil. Young people talking about influence. You can, please look at me, you can use your influence for good or evil. Here's the, here's the truth of a youth department. Things come up that you talk about. You say, what are you talking about? I'm talking about when I was growing up in a youth department. 
things come up. And you will have conversations where you can influence people to do right or you can help them to continue doing wrong. That happens. Anybody that's ever been in the youth department knows that that's true. You say, well, our youth leaders, well, we could say the same thing about parents. <laughs> Kids have conversations sometimes, don't they? I just want to tell you, young ladies, you have influence. You have the ability to help each other. You have influence. You have the ability to encourage and to help each other, to help create an environment and an atmosphere where, where the uh, obedience and love and care for one another will flourish. Use that influence to be a help. You have power every time. Anyone who would, anyone who would put social media to use needs to understand how destructive it can be if it's not used in the right way. It's influence that either hurts or helps. And depending on how it's used, it can cause great damage. You think, oh, man, everybody, I mean, I'm just going to say whatever I want to say about whoever I want to say it. That is extremely, extremely destructive. You, the way you talk and who you talk to and, and how you talk about, you have influence. As a mom, you know, we, we talk about the, the struggle of being a mom and, and dealing, with, dealing with the daily grind of kids and all that comes with that. And you're in a, but you're in a position of great power and you are shaping their view of God every day. And it's not always easy and it's very tedious and it can be overwhelming at times, but that power can be put to great use but it requires us to die to self. I understand this as a pastor, that there is some authority that comes with that. But I've got to remember, I don't have this authority because I just took it. I have this authority because it was given to me. And ultimately, this is God's idea. And I can use this, I can use it for my own agenda, I can use it for selfish gain, or I can use it and give myself to serve God's people and to help them to prosper. To minister through the word to help people know him and love him. I just want to, I want to leave you with this point. We have one in power who intervenes for us. <laughs> um, you know, Mordecai was an advocate for the Jews. I love what 1 John 2 says. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. <laughs> We have someone in great power advocating for us. And maybe you get nothing out of this except for this. Man, I'm glad Jesus is on my side. Not that he is approving of everything that I do, but he is advocating on my behalf for me with the Father. Here's the statement. It's already been made and we're done. Use your power to help people prosper. Our culture is consumed with I've got to I've got to prosper myself and and we ought to make good use of the life and the opportunity that we have but God wants us to live lives with the mind of Jesus Christ 
who was primarily concerned about helping those around him. So use your life to help others prosper. Use your influence to help others prosper. You say, how do I help people prosper? The best way is to help them know and follow God. You live your life helping people do that, you're going to be helping some people prosper. Use your power to help others prosper. Let's all stand together with our heads bowed, our eyes closed. I don't know how God would use this in your heart, but maybe there's some areas where you are squandering your position. You have influence, but it's not being used. You have power, but it's not being used. You have some opportunity, but it's, it's not being used with the right motive. Or in some cases, you know, you're, you're abusing it. Or maybe it's not that you're outright abusing it, but you know that, man, I struggle in this. I'm more concerned at home about my own, my own gain. When it comes to my marriage, I'm more concerned about what I'm going to get out of it than I am what can I put into it. And we, we need to receive, that's obvious, but we get more, more focused, we prioritize my need being met more than ministering to those around us. Use your power to help others prosper. While Brother Nate sings if God has spoken to your heart in any way, you have opportunity to respond to him.